All right. Okay. All right. Um, all, right. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, exactly. I'm your host, Deanne Knighton. I am very excited to introduce you to the guest I have today. This is a someone, a human. She has a lot of insight and I don't know, you're wise beyond your years, Lydia. I can always sense from you that you were kind of trying to crack the nut that is yourself. Without further ado, I would now like to stop talking. <laughs> Thanks, Deanne. It's been a long six years from when I first decided to get sober. I think I had a pretty normal childhood. I had very loving parents. I had a lot of fun in high school drinking and partying. I would say I didn't make a ton of good decisions. Just liked to party and have fun and didn't have a whole lot of consequences that changed in college. I had one day where I was studying for an Asian art history exam and I sought out Adderall. I remember Googling that night two different times, am I going to die? And then how do I be on this drug forever? So kind of that was my experience with Adderall was like, you know, am I even going to make it out of this? And I don't want it to stop. From then on, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, it was college. You're just drinking and partying. And if you surrounded yourself with the people who were doing that, you didn't really stick out, you know, regardless, I was, I I was drinking way too much. I had a really bad fall my senior year and I got airlifted. I had a blood alcohol content of 0.45 And I did not change my partying when I went back to school. Um, So I was just kind of, I don't know. I felt bad for myself that I had fell and I wanted to get back to school and party. Meanwhile, my brother, my oldest brother was really struggling with drug addiction and was causing a lot of pain. I thought to my family And I just didn't see any similarities to what I was doing. Fast forward out of college. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I moved to New York uh, with my boyfriend and the culture there. I I just didn't know any better was everyone hates their job and drinks and parties a lot. You know, now if I went back, I'm sure you could craft quite a different experience. I fell into that scene and I wanted that more and more. I wanted to feel like I was excelling at my job. I wanted to feel like I didn't have to eat. I wanted to drink all night. And for me, those three kind of like values trumped everything else. And no matter how much shame and how much I hated myself and how much I was keeping it a secret from my family, it honestly... In the beginning, it felt like empowerment. I have 
my own drug dealer. I can do whatever I want. I can go out and get fucked up and have a good job and party and do it all. And it felt like that was success, but it was not. And it became more and more painful for me as more time went on because there was part of me that that knew I was in the wrong job. I was in the wrong place. I was in the wrong relationship and the drugs and alcohol helped mask that, but it stopped working. I really couldn't stop. And it, it pretty much resulted in me in a, a crash and burn in a train ride back to New Hampshire, got sober there um, in the comfort of my parents' home. It wasn't a grand choice that I made. I was just in so much pain that it finally exceeded the unknown. I was like, okay, I just, I can't do it anymore. can relate to so much of what you were talking about and, you know, that connection too with that work hard, play hard, that kind of mentality is very real. It becomes not only the addiction, but it's also, that's the lifestyle that you have to maintain to be able to keep what you have. Then it becomes even scarier. Yeah. It is a complete unraveling of all of the building blocks. For me, it felt like that my life would not work. It meant everything falling apart and putting that level of weight on it was my own prison. And there's also this thing in there that's like calling you forward. I feel like something's not right. This isn't it. This isn't what I was meant to do. For a while, I wanted to stop. I would say about two years, but there was no, I was like, I can't stop. This is my life. And this is everything that it's built upon. Um, and the drugs and also alcohol also did a good job of suppressing that feeling inside of like, oh, things, you know, this is not what I want for my life. So it was, I would say the worst part of it is that feeling when you know you want to change, but you, you can't yet. These decisions around sobriety have way much more to do with lifestyle and identity, I feel, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years and how that all becomes wrapped up together. When I first got sober, maybe three or four months into it, I was in a yoga class and the, at the very end, the teacher read a reading of honor the ending. And I just like thought about it for a second. And I started crying because I had never honored that that part of my life was over and that I would never be going back to that. It's very easy to lose sight of because this whole thing becomes very complicated and there's a lot going on. But even if something has been hurting us, it doesn't mean that it's wrong for us to miss it or mourn it. I think if we feel like it is wrong to do that, then I think it just continues to perpetuate sickness. We then are just like, what's wrong with me? How can I possibly be feeling this way? That type of internal talk for me was absolutely keeping me sick. Deanne, you and me were just talking about this earlier. I had tried to get connected to AA when I first got sober. I really liked it. I'm actually excited to go back and go to meetings. You know, I had two sponsors. Uh, we didn't go through the steps and I went to Boston. I had this nice cushy job, great roommate. I was living next to my brother and I was like, I don't 
I guess I'm good. Like, I guess it's fine. And then fast forward a couple of years, I, I moved out to Colorado. I, basically, I was just developed some health issues that were unforeseen. And I ended up relapsing. And because I was never connected with a community, I had nothing in place. But I have to say before that, I was trying to go to meetings. And my advice, the advice to me was, if you don't like the AA meeting, go find another AA meeting. And it was tricky for me having to replace alcohol with Adderall and having to, you know, the section about the wives and codependency. And there were just things that were hard for me to make the mental leap, um, to put it together. And part of that is I'm stubborn and was kind of close-minded, but it's really nice now because after my relapse, I got connected to a group and I'm now part of a recovery group. And that's something that I'd always wanted. I always wanted to be someone who could raise their hand and say something useful or feel like I had a seat at the table. And um, kind of because I, I didn't plug myself into AA or I felt a disconnect, I, I never got to do that. And now I just feel really lucky. It's just funny that I <laughs> I've been wandering around and I, I have a I have a home now. I can't tell how much of it was true or was just a lie I was telling myself, but the stuff I was addicted to was uh, an appetite suppressant. So I, you know, my values were productivity, being skinny, and honestly, that was it and putting on a good face for everyone. And so if I have those same values and I'm sober, I'm just going to be miserable. And so for me, it's been about building different values. If I'm valuing those same things, I'm always going to miss it. And I'm always going to put it on a pedestal. But when my identity and values shift towards connecting and being a good friend and being a good daughter and a good sibling, then drugs and alcohol don't really matter that much. The Adderall addiction is really, really hard because there's part of it that is that feels so true and that you need it to succeed. And it crosses over into a lie after a while. The truth is that yes, it's going to succeed in those three values while you're destroying the other 100 things in your life, at least for me to make that shift in recovery, I had to build some new values. And that's taken a really long time for me. It takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, because we're talking about voices that can go back to when you started walking, yeah. you know, messages that have been planted in your brain yep. from, from the womb um, and to no fault of anybody's. I'm not, I don't say that like with criticism, it's just, it's part of the air we breathe in so many ways. And, and especially like the body image piece, I think for women in particular is such a massive, massive part of this. Lennon Doyle has a new podcast. They had an episode on recovery and I heard this for the first time and I loved it. Her sister was more of like a gray area drinker who talked about her realization that the drinking was the consolation prize, that it was the thing that she got to have that she had allowed herself like, oh, at least I have this, mm -hmm. you know, at yeah. least I can drink. I have all these other things I've sacrificed about what I want. That is similar. I think with body image stuff too, it can be like, at least I look good. 
when I first got sober, I look back on that period of time and I'm, I'm sure that it was really challenging, but I also am I'm not jealous of that time period, but I am appreciative of like the clean slate that it gives you. I don't know about you, Deanne, but my whole life was in shambles. So it was building everything from the ground up. I made a life wheel and it was so sad. It was like the saddest looking wheel with like finances, relationship, health to be able to build from that. I thought was a really special time. I think that Everyone is different in terms of a recovery program. Mine really fluctuated. I turned inward. I probably read 10 books like Pema Chodron. I read when I was still using when things fall apart. Yeah, just a bunch of sobriety books. I got plugged into the Rich Roll podcast, and he's a sober vegan athlete. So he was kind of like, my role model for being sober and for kind of seeing my sobriety as like a superpower. Yeah. I just used that time for like a lot of introspection. I think that if I had been abusing drugs and alcohol for 10 years straight, there was just like a lot that I needed to work through. I don't know, just have like better thoughts. And, and, you know, the thoughts that led me to drinking and alcohol, it's, it didn't work out. I went to therapy to talk about my eating disorder. Yeah. I just learned a lot. I was really excited about it. And then when it kind of didn't work out in the community part, I still remained really plugged in with these sobriety adventure books. Like there's a bunch of crazy sober ultra runners. And I would, you know, I'd listen to, to what they did and what they hiked. And I would, I would go on these hikes by myself. And I had one friend in AA and he was like, he's like, yeah, people say AA is brainwashing, but like, you need to have your brainwashed. It's like, yeah, that's true. I, I clearly, um, (laughs) I need, I need a reset. So, um, I liked that. And I, I think that finding that balance in the beginning, trying to take advice and trying to do the right thing and not really offer up to the world too much. I love that the brainwash. Sometimes these conversations like Lydia and I are having right now, can, I remember being overwhelmed sometimes by them, by hearing people talk about all of these things in a way that, oh, now I need to go do that. Now I need to go figure out how to unpack this. There were a few times that that put me almost in panic attack mode. I'm a doer. You know, so when, when I start hearing this to-do list of all of the things that I need to do to be well, I found that very overwhelming. There's just no way to tackle everything at the same time. It is just too big. It's impossible. And it can feel defeating sometimes. group one time and I just loved it so much because I felt like it was like me speaking and you said can someone tell me like what I'm supposed to do to love myself like what what is that (laughs) it was like the inside of my brain with the topic of self-compassion I'm like yeah yeah okay get it like it was just a concept to me not an actual practice and I would think I'd ask so what do you (laughs) what's, what's everyone doing about that 
I had a situation recently where I was like, okay, I'm going to look at this whole sugar thing that everybody's talking about. And I would sit and listen to things, but like nobody would actually tell me, what does that mean to get off sugar? I don't understand. (laughs) You and me are like doers. We're like, okay, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll just do it. Yes. Because you know that there are people who needed to hear that. I, I really believe that. I try to remember where I was at that state. I think I was grateful, but I don't, I don't remember. I probably wasn't every day. I really struggled with wanting to have attained sobriety in early sobriety. I felt like, how do I be a part of this? Because I'm so new. People, they don't care if you have two years of sobriety or three years of sobriety. It's just about setting yourself up for success getting rid of those back doors that I had, because ultimately that kind of led to my relapse. Um, It would be calling my doctor and saying, do not ever prescribe this to me again, or, you know, blocking your drug dealer or telling your friends, I don't drink. Even if you feel like, oh shit, I'm going to regret this. You can make that resolve to change and still not do it perfectly, but making that decision that you're going to get your life on track in whatever form is the most important thing. Doing things specifically that I couldn't do if I were drunk, high, or hungover. And for me, that's just built back a lot of self-esteem and self-worth that I lost. So do fun things or be a beginner at a new sport. And then once you do it, you just feel you feel so much more empowered and you get that little hit of fuck I don't need these drugs and alcohol like this is like this is what I want for my life that is all like stuff man I wish somebody would have said to me yay oh good I mean I kind of blacked out show up and stay as a nonprofit donation-based organization. You can find out more about us at showupandstay.org. If you'd like to participate in a future episode, please send me an email at info at showupandstay.org.